Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Karen Hinson, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Nathan Wagner. What up? What up? What up? What up? Nathan, how have you been using all your free time? Do you have free time? I, I wouldn't say that uh, a guy who does online content and three small children at home, I wouldn't say that I have had a whole lot of free time. Mm. The time that I have had with my kids has been a lot of fun. We've been playing the Settlers of Catan and building Legos and doing some projects around the house. I just recently power washed a bunch of stuff, which was epic. Sweet. Yeah. Did you power wash your children or no? (laughs) No. Although they probably wouldn't have minded. Uh, (laughs) Pretty much anything we do, they think is fun. So it's good stuff. What are we doing today? Well, today we're with Steve Porter yet again. He is a professor at Biola University, and we're going to be talking to him about discipleship during the coronavirus. So we hope you all enjoy. I love it. We are back this week with Dr. Steve Porter, a professor of philosophy and theology out at Biola University in Los Angeles. And Steve was my faculty advisor when I was a student out there and has just become a friend of mine. So if you heard us last week, we've been talking about what discipleship to Jesus looks like during the time of the coronavirus. And last week, we really focused on what is that idea of discipleship to Jesus. And and so this week, we're going to just continue that conversation talking about the practicalities and the ins and outs of what this functionally looks like on a day-in, day-out basis. So, Steve, we're super pumped that you're back with us. Thanks for your expertise and just being on a call with us. I'm glad to be here. And Nathan, I was thinking that you were one of my two best students that I've ever had. <laughs> now, I got I got to say two because that way all my other students can think that they're the other one. The other one, yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, invoice me for that later. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll Venmo you some, <laughs> I'll Venmo you that payment. So Steve, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, I encourage you to do that. But Steve has really, I think, just been thinking well about discipleship in the time of uh, coronavirus. And so to summarize last week, though, I would say like the school of Jesus is always open, like it never closes. It's not online. He's actually present with us in our every moment and is leading us and guiding us by his spirit. But Steve, when you see an opportunity like coronavirus, what does that mean for people? I mean, if they can't go to church, if they can't go gather with people, what are some of the implications for that in thinking about discipleship? And how have you seen that play out in your own life? Like what prompted you to start thinking about this? Well, I mean, it's interesting to to just talk to people about how they're experiencing shelter in place and lockdown and different, you know, different parts of the country have different rules about that. But, you know, a lot of people are experiencing it as a lot of loss. Of course, some people know someone who's lost their life, uh, could be someone close to them. Uh, Certainly people know folks who have lost health or who are struggling uh, through the coronavirus in their their health. Uh, But lots of folks have lost jobs and are experiencing financial loss of various sorts. Um, but then there's just the loss of, I mean, my kids, uh, my daughter plays soccer, my son, you know, runs track and that's all over. And there's the loss of, you know, someone's senior year of high school or senior year of college. And so there's all this loss that people are experiencing. And then, you know, the busyness really of our lives has just been taken out at the knees. We're just, there's just not 
anything to do. The movie theaters aren't open. You know, you can stream a lot of stuff, but that gets old. So, so I think part of what's happening is we're being stripped away. We're experiencing loss. And that's a form of trial. You know, that's a form of, of kind of trying our faith and, and seeing what it's really made of. So I think one opportunity for discipleship is when I get stripped away of all these things that keep me so busy, that keep me oftentimes, frankly, fairly distracted, they can be good things, but they're still pretty distracting. When I get stripped away of all those things, I get exposed. I mean, I felt exposed in the last few weeks. And, and what's felt exposed is the condition of my spiritual life, of my discipleship to Jesus. And, and so it can be easy to, to kind of feel like everything's going great with the Lord, when I'm keeping busy with ministry and keeping busy with writing and keeping busy with teaching and, and the kids are keeping me busy. But when all of that kind of gets um, stripped away, we really kind of show our true colors in terms of what's really going on in our relationship with Jesus. So, so I think that's one of the things that the coronavirus um, has opened up for us. And then maybe the second thing to mention, and we can come back to both these things, is just we've all had to really rethink what does it mean to be the people of God? What does it mean to be the body of Christ? If, if I'm not showing up at a certain building at a certain time on a certain day to meet with God's people, what does it look like to uh, to minister as disciples of Jesus in twos? I mean, Jesus always sent his disciples out in twos or, or more, mm-hmm. and we are always meant to be ministering together as a body. So what does that look like when the body of Christ can't meet and um, or or when we're meeting with people, but we have to social distance, we have to stay, you know, six feet away. So what does it look like to encourage one another in our disciples? So that's another challenge that I think has helped rethink things for people. It makes me think you talked about one of the things that we're all struggling with is how much loss we're experiencing, whether that's true loss of loved ones or loss of experiences or things that you thought were going to happen and now your expectations have changed. So there must be an element of grieving happening Mm. for everybody right now. And how does that factor into this now your relationship with the Lord shifts a little because you're in this state of grief that you never expected to be in. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Could you speak to Uh, that a little? I think that's really important, Karen. I mean, I think one of the things, (laughs) to put it in Jesus' discipleship language, one of the things we need to learn from Jesus, but of course we learn this from other parts of Scripture too, is the language uh, of lament, the prayer language of lament. And, And we can learn it from Jesus because Jesus adopts uh, lament psalms, particularly in the Garden of Gethsemane, and of course on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm, you know, Psalm twenty-two. Is that twenty-two? Thanks twenty-two. 22. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, thank you, Nathan. Um, so, psalms of lament, prayers of lament. You know, that's one of the ways that we can draw near to God and really grieve the loss, you know, the language of how long, O Lord, or why God, or uh, Lord, when will you arise from your slumber? I mean, I think those those prayers of the psalmist are really uh, valid and appropriate right now and a way to grieve. But whether we're grieving through lament psalms or, again, just with one another. I mean, again, thinking of the idea that we're supposed to comfort one another and to to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So this is a time for weeping with one another over loss. And it's an interesting thing about loss. Um, I mean, you can have a pounding headache all day and just be really bummed out about it, right? And then you get on the phone with a friend who lost a loved one, and all of a sudden, you know, you think, oh, I'll take that pounding headache any day of the week over over that sort of loss. But the point is, is that loss is really person-specific. And, and even though 
I might sometime later look back at a loss I experienced and say, oh, it wasn't that bad. And, you know, it turned out fine. When you're in the middle of it, even if it's a first world problem, right, even if the loss is that I can't go to the gym to work out, well, that's a, that's a real first world problem, but it's a loss, you know, and it can really feel unsettling. It can feel disrupting and dislocating. And so we need safe places where we can say to people and we can say to the Lord, like, I know this isn't the worst thing in the world, but what I'm really feeling sad about or what I'm missing is, and then whatever it is, even again, even if it's something that in the grand scheme of things, you know, is not that big of a deal. And here's the key for disciples. If we don't grieve those losses, we're not going to be in a very good place to grieve with others who are experiencing loss. And so if I have my own losses that I'm minimizing and putting down and really not taking seriously, then guess what? When someone comes to me and says, oh, I'm having a hard time, I'm not going to have the capacity to really be there with them because I'm, I haven't grieved my losses. So it's really important that we that we do enter into lament in this season. Man, that's so helpful, especially as we are in a unique season where so many people are experiencing loss of some kind. Cause typically we would say, Hey, everybody's doing their own thing. They're living their own life and you're going to have a good season. Somebody else is going to have a hard season, but we've as the entire world have hit mm-hmm. a season of life that is difficult. And so to know, Hey, this is going to take some individual processing so that I can be God's people or God's woman or God's man for somebody else. That's really helpful. Yeah. I think another word that is ringing in my head right now through all of this, this four letter word, fear. That fear is something that can be really debilitating for people right now. And one of the things you've talked about that I'd love for you to just unpack a little further is in this moment, we as believers who some of us experience fear to varying degrees in times like this, this unsettling, disorienting kind of season, that we're tempted to retreat inward. And yet Jesus is calling us to do something else. So, So talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Nathan. I mean, I think there is a lot of fear and a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety about the future, and understandably so, right? I mean, there's there's a real threat here. And, and Karen, I think you're right to think of this as kind of a, you know, this is an interesting moment because, as you put it, it's not just um, one person going through a hard time. I mean, to one degree or another, the whole world is going through a hard time. We don't have a lot of global crises, you know, we don't have a lot of global trials, but the global church is in a moment of trial, and it's um, through the coronavirus. So it's a real question to be thinking, you know, what is God doing here? But but yeah, I think, Nathan, as you said, fear can, it can, we have this natural physiological response when resources are scarce to kind of close in and to kind of pull in and to protect ourselves and to protect those closest to us. And you know, again, there's real threats out there. But when we look at how Christians have responded throughout church history, and when we look back to scripture ultimately. And when we look back to Jesus, to how he responded uh, when he was being threatened, right? He turned the other cheek. He was able to respond in a different kind of way because, well, the way John puts it in his letter is perfect love casts out fear. And so if if we can really draw near to Jesus and draw near to his people, because we're going to need their help in this. And again, that gets practically difficult in coronavirus, but there's various ways to draw near to others. As we do that, we can perhaps experience more that idea that 
okay, hold it. I am perfectly loved right now. And it doesn't feel like I'm perfectly loved. And that's part of why the language of lament needs to come back in. It's like, God, this doesn't feel like your perfect love. This doesn't seem like what a perfect loving heavenly father would do. And I know, Nathan, you've talked on other, you know, other times about problem of evil and God's goodness and times of suffering, but all of that comes in here. But to the degree that we can find even a fledgling faith, a fledgling trust, you know, a Lord, I believe, help my unbelief that you are in control, that you love me, that you know what I need, that I am ultimately going to be okay. I mean, one of the things Dallas Willard used to say is no ultimate harm will ever come to us in the kingdom of God. Mm, and and it's really important we say no ultimate harm. It's not saying harm no will come all. to us. Right, right. Yeah, no harm, but no ultimate harm. Even when harm comes, we are still uh, underneath are the everlasting arms, right, of, of God. And so to the degree that I can draw near to God as he draws near to me, to the degree that I can live in that reality, that I am perfectly loved, that we are perfectly loved, that fear, that anxiety starts to go down. And now when someone, you know, asks me for my tunic as well, right, or they ask me for my last my last roll of toilet paper or whatever it is, you know, when they ask me for that thing, I don't want to give up or that I feel is scarce. I can, I, you know, we need to be wise about these things, but we can be generous. We can be more giving because our fists aren't clenched, right? We're not trying to hold back because we know at the end of the day, ultimately we are perfectly loved and that frees us up to love others. And so again, to go back to first John, you know, we love because he first loved us. And so if we can, if we can live more and more in the reality of that first love, that unconditional, perfect love of God, then we begin to love in in ways that are just radical. And that's, that's one of the things that Christians can do in this time as a witness to the unbelieving world is we can live a different kind of life. You know, we can show forth a kind of uh, generosity, a kind of, um, I don't think it's helpful for us in this time to, to be, uh, nonchalant about coronavirus or to, or to be like, you know, I don't care. We're going to go to heaven. I, I think all of that is not really the kind of attitude. It's yeah. to be really serious about the reality of all this and yet to be serious about it in a way that's not driven by fear and anxiety, that's driven by love. And that's a different posture. It's a different attitude, a different kind of uh, spirit. Yeah, totally. I think I'm reminded of my time in Afghanistan, especially my first deployment there. Um, I was talking to a friend here at Watermark recently about this. But when you first get into like a combat situation where, you know, people are literally trying to take your life, then the reality of it, like it sinks in real fast, you know, and it's not something to take lightly. It's not something to be, like you said, nonchalant about. Because it literally is like you can be foolish and you'll die. And so you're serious about it. And yet at the same time, as a Christian, one of the ways that Jesus discipled me in that time, because as we said, like he's, he was with me in that, <laughs> was for me to come to grips with my own mortality and ultimately to learn that even if I die, that's sad, death is an enemy it's never good. And yet at the same time, I think as followers of Jesus, and it's just specifically for me and my own experience, my response ultimately became like, okay, Jesus will raise me from the dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that the central hope of Christianity is the, yeah. is 
the resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that that's what maybe Willard is talking about, where he's like, ultimate harm is not going to come to us in the kingdom of God. That's right. Because Jesus reverses all of it. He reverses all of the harm. And yeah. what ultimately will be true of us can even now, as we are living out a discipleship to Jesus that is centered and grounded in the love of God, can begin to manifest itself here and now, mm-hmm. albeit in incomplete ways, but still a faint glimmer of of reality that people normally don't see. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's why, like, even today, I was reading a deal on Bonhoeffer, because uh, it's either yesterday or today or something like that is uh, the anniversary of his death. And his last words, when the Nazis were putting a noose around his neck, were, this is the end, but for me, it is the beginning of my life. Mm-hmm. And and then you think about the early church. I mean, the early church didn't really care anything about birthdays, <laughs> <laughs> but they did celebrate the day of people's deaths. And mm-hmm. the reason why is because they viewed it as their actual, like, entering into the full reality that we are made for. And so we can, in times like this, when there's uncertainty and there is death, we can bear witness of uh, the type of life that Jesus is calling us into is one mm-hmm. that where we can fully be present with the people who are going through really difficult experiences and circumstances, and at the same time, be a manifestation of hope. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really critical during this time. And so much of what I hear you both talking about is having a right perspective. It's mm-hmm. so much of seeing God rightly for who he is. Um, even in the article or the blog post that you wrote about uh, that we've been focusing on about discipleship during coronavirus, you talk about during this time, we should be fixing our eyes on Jesus, that we should be seeking the things above talking about Hebrews 12 and Colossians three. And then you make the point that Jesus is seated on the throne and it's not a position of stress or anxiety or fear himself, but it's one of rest and authority. And so when we rightly see that that's where Jesus is and that's who Jesus is, we can then begin to love others as he's called us to love them. And that's so helpful just to remember, hey, it's a perspective change that starts with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And one of the things I was thinking of, Nathan, when you were talking about your experience in Afghanistan is, I mean, you, we got to be careful with what I'm about to say, and it can sound a bit morbid, but but there's a sense in which we all already have coronavirus yep, yep. <laughs> in the sense that we all have a death sentence unless Jesus returns. One thing is sure, we're all going to die. Right. And so what coronavirus does is it just turns up the probability a little bit. I mean, it doesn't even turn it up that much as it yeah, turns right. out, but it turns up the probability. It makes our mortality, it kind of brings it into our face, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, certainly it, being in Afghanistan or being uh, on the front lines anywhere, you know, it, it turns up the mortality. But in one sense, it just makes real what is true all the time, right. which is that we never know, right, how much time we have. And yep. so... So that's, again, that's how one of the things this coronavirus does is it it wakes us up to an element of reality that's there all the time, which is that there's no guarantees. And so do I really trust you, God, when things aren't going as well as I'd like or when things are actually you know pretty scary or there's a lot of threat? And uh, I think of James 1.1, consider it all joy my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. But 
But Eugene Peterson, in, in his paraphrase, The Message, he puts it like this. He says, you know, consider it all joy because you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open and it shows its true colors. Mm. And I like that way of putting it, that trials kind of force our faith life, our life of faith out into the open. And we kind of see, oh, it was easy to trust you, God, when there wasn't coronavirus <laughs> or when I, you know, I when I wasn't in Afghanistan or, yeah. or when I didn't have the cancer diagnosis or whatever it is. It, it was easy to trust you, God, when life was going well. But now that I don't have a job, you know, now that my wife is sick or whatever it is, we see a lot more clearly what level of faith or trust confidence in Jesus right. and his work and his goodness we really have. Yeah. So talk to us about some of those idols that I think get exposed in a season like this. I know one of them for, I think, a lot of us is that perhaps in times where we become less productive or have less ministry, quote unquote, opportunities, or are less busy with ministry activism or what whatever it is i mean not like our that kind of the tyranny the urgent that volume on the board gets turned way down and we begin to realize that oh dang um are god and i good and and we begin to see that what gets exposed is a lot of our the substance of our spiritual life has really just been covered by some of these idols that are quote unquote acceptable in Christian circles. So maybe I'm overstating it, but uh, would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I, I don't think you're overstating it, Nathan. I, I mean, I think some of the the idols that are the hardest to see are the ones that are cloaked in otherwise good activities, right? I, I mean, and ministry activity is one of them. So I can be addicted to ministry. I can be super busy serving the Lord, you know, doing all these things that everyone will pat me on the back for and say, you know, you're such a good Christian. But but of course, we all know that, that someone can be super busy serving the Lord and just be burnt out spiritually. I mean, in fact, again, it's probably partly due to how busy they are that they're so burnt out. And so busyness becomes idolatrous. It, yeah. it becomes um, a way to actually hide from God and to, at times, make ourselves feel better about our Christian life because we think that the busiest believers are always the best. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very hard. I mean, take any church community or any Christian ministry, just ask someone who around this place is is really doing a lot, you know, really serving the Lord in, in radical ways. And, you know, we can always name who those people are who are just really ministering. And then to say, now, do you think that person's spiritually immature? And almost all the time, he goes, oh, no, no, they're, they're spiritually mature yeah. because we, we just now sometimes we know they are. And that's why they're doing so much. But but other times it's just we automatically assume that the busiest believers are the most mature believers when, again, busyness can be one of our worst enemies in the Christian life and can keep us uh, super distracted from what God is actually calling us to deal with in our own discipleship to Him. Yeah. I think one of the tells for this is when somebody's ability to build a spiritual resume in this season is stripped away, I think one of the tells is how deeply does that affect you? Mm -hmm. How disorienting is that for you? Are, are you having a crisis of identity? Yeah. 
And I think that the people who really are disoriented by that, like, oh man, I mean, like, I can't really do a whole lot for the Lord right now. So I'm wondering if if I'm uh, really okay with him right now or something like that. And I think that probably, uh, if I had to guess, I would say probably a majority of the people listen to this could identify with that in some way yeah. um, to say, no, actually... It's the person who grieves this time, but ultimately their interior life is not really shaken at all, mm-hmm. is the person who is substantively cultivating their discipleship to Jesus. So what advice do you have for them? Because I'm sure they'll admit, even personally, as y'all are talking, I'm like shifting in my seat a little of like, oh, productivity, it is what I enjoy. It is how I feel useful to the Lord or valuable to the Lord. And so... For those people who have just shifted in their seat listening to this podcast, what advice do you have? (laughs) Well, Karen, I think one of the things, uh, so well, two thoughts. One is I was thinking of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul says to the Corinthians that, you know, he says, "I, I don't want you to give reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And I think that idea that if we're really giving or serving out of what God is doing in us, then there's going to be a cheerfulness about it. We're, we're going to want to do it, right? It's And so I think sadness is really appropriate in this time. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you're someone who wants to give and you're not being able to give in the ways you want to, I think a kind of sadness about that is really appropriate. It's like, I want to give cheerfully. But I think what the cheerful giver will do, the person who who just wants to give, not out of reluctance or under compulsion or because they feel guilty or because their own identity is wrapped into it, I think what they'll do is they'll get creative. Yeah, good. I think what they'll do is they'll probably say, okay, how can I creatively give in this time. And I mean, one of the things my daughter who is about ready to turn 12 and I still put her, put her down at night and we read together. And so one of the things that she and I have been doing is uh, we started this, you know, shortly after the coronavirus hit is we, we just said, okay, let's text one family tonight and let's ask that family how we can pray for them. Let's check in with with some family we know and, and we'll say, how can we pray for you? We're praying. And so now we got a list. We actually have, we can't do it every night because now we got about 12 families that we're praying for every night before bedtime, specifically about kind of what are their needs, what's going on in their family during coronavirus. And it is, it's a way of serving, it's a way of giving, but it's a different kind of giving. So I think prayer is going to be one of the ways that we're going to seek to serve others during this time. But if I find that, you know, well, what I really want to be doing is kind of you know, I want someone to know about what I'm doing, or I want to be seen, and you know, or something like that. Then that's probably a sign to me that oh, my identity's wrapped up in this a little bit. Like I want people to know what I'm doing, and so that's again kind of an opportunity to say, okay, God, how are you purifying me in this time? How are you refining me? How are you even purging me of kind of ways that I use ministry or productivity or whatever it might be to kind of find some value and meaning? apart from you. I love that. I love just the idea that it's, again, something that you just take straight to Jesus when you feel that motivation stirring up that might not be as pure, that Jesus can handle that. It's not anything too big for him to take on. And so I love the idea of, hey, we just started by texting families that we know to ask how we can pray for them. Do you have other ideas of how the church could be the church in this season where we have to socially distance? 
Well, one of the things I, I shared in that blog was, and I was I was struck by this in Paul's letter to, in Romans, where he's writing his letter to, to the church in Rome, and he says how he longs to be with them. And, uh, and he says that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. This is in Romans chapter one. He says, how I long to be with you. But then he says that we may mutually encourage one another, I, you, and you, me. And there's something about this letter you know, where Paul is at a distance, right? He wants to be with these Christians in Rome. Now he's at a distance for a different kind of reason, but he's writing this letter and he's, he's vulnerably admitting, you know, that he longs to be with them. He really misses them. He wants to see them. And what he misses is that mutual encouragement that that I can impart something to you, but you can impart something to me. So I think one way to express our need to the body of Christ in this time is quite simply that, to just be honest with each other and say, I really miss working with you. I, I, I didn't realize this, but you know, every day I'd see you in the office and I was getting a lot out of that. And I realize now that it's gone, that even, even though we didn't always you know, stop and chat, there was something about co-laboring with you, you know, in this work together that was just really, I miss that. And I long to to have that back. And so we can encourage each other. There's something about just kind of admitting that to ourselves. I mean, I tend to be one of those people that has a hard time admitting that I have needs and that people are important. So for me, that admission is in and of itself a way to to actually experience connection. If I'm doing it over text or in a Skype call or, or FaceTime, uh, you, know, you could probably do it on Facebook too, but maybe that wouldn't work as well. But uh, <laughs> but to somehow communicate that, that need. So that, I think that's another way to be staying with people is even just to admit our need for one another. And then I think practically, we just need to reach out and try to get with people, whether it's, again, virtually over FaceTime or, or uh, some sort of Zoom call or whatever it is, or, you know, a walk. I've been taking more walks with my friends because we can walk here, but we just have to stay, you know, six feet apart. So I've been doing more walks around my neighborhood, around my friends' neighborhoods, and we'll just talk. And, and I've seen some of my friends more in the last few weeks than I normally would. But it's partly because I need them more. I'm so socially isolated. Then the one last thing I'll say, and this is probably, again, the most challenging one for me, is for those of us who are sheltering in place, you know, with family or with roommates, you know, oftentimes we take those relationships for granted, unfortunately. We kind of, you know, the people we live with become the ones that are hardest to love or the hardest to really express our need for. So another real opportunity, my wife and I, and even my kids are, okay, how can we do better at mutually encouraging one another? How can we do better at this? I can have a lot of contact with with my wife, with my kids. So how do we do this better in this time? Again, it can be easier for me to go find somebody else, but what is God calling me to with those who are closest to me, those who are in my my living space. Yeah, and I don't know about y'all, but that's the hardest one for me. I'm like, I've seen you now three weeks in a row all day. Get Go out. Away. <laughs> Need to be thinking, how can I love you? How can I be kind? Someone said to me recently, there's, there's two things that monks always hate. Uh, so people who have entered into a monastery, they hate having to be with God all the time, and they hate having to be with one another all the time, right? And so there's there's a little bit of this 
monastic life that we all are tasting right now? Is it like, gosh, I I, I don't like to be with God all the time, and I don't like to be with these people all the time. (laughs) And I think probably most people would admit that they don't like being with themselves either. So we're just kind of stuck. But uh, no, as you were talking, Steve, I think one of the things that came to mind that's pertinent to your question, Karen, about like, what do we do during the season is I think it's good spiritual discipline. It's one that I've, that I've developed just over time that when I feel that pull of, all right, what am I supposed to be doing? How productive am I? How, how much am I achieving? There's enough of a check in my spirit that there's a reorientation to the idea that uh, Jesus is the one who is doing all of these things. So when Steve goes on a walk with his friend, Jesus is with them. If there's mutual encouragement that's there, it's because Jesus is with them. Um, If I go to the store to pick up groceries in the time of coronavirus, Jesus is with me and he's saving the world. He doesn't just love his children, although he does in a unique way, he loves the whole world. And the person that you see at the grocery store or or the person you run into in the pharmacy or at the gas station or whatever. Like there are always opportunities for us to participate with Jesus and what he is doing. And so um, now obviously if you engage with someone and share your faith out of the motivation that, okay, now I have a good story to tell so I can build my spiritual resume, then that that's revealing a deficiency in your soul. But if you're doing it because you sense the presence of Jesus with you and you're stewarding the love of God, then nothing can stop you from doing that. Not coronavirus, not World War III, not anything. And, uh, and so I think that just having that awareness of Jesus being with us always and to know that he's not just like idly standing there waiting for you to do something. He is doing things and is inviting us in to participate with him. And I think that mentality, because I think it, that mentality actually directly corresponds with what's real is a way for us to bear witness in a time where we live with a lot of restrictions. Yeah. I was thinking, Nathan, as you were saying that, that if it is true that the only way I'm getting through this time is because Jesus is with me. I mean, if it's really true that I'm cultivating the kind of way you're talking about these, the presence of Jesus throughout my day, then when I'm, you know, walking down the the street here and one of my neighbors says, which they do, you know, how are you guys managing? How are you guys doing in this time? It could be very easy just to say, well, I'd be doing a whole lot worse if it wasn't for Jesus, right? I, I, I don't know how I would be making this if it wasn't for Jesus. And that's, you know, again, that can sound tried or cliche, but it can also invite a conversation of, right. well, what does that, what does that mean? How is Jesus? I mean, the person could be a Christian, right? But they may still not know what you mean about how you're doing this with Jesus. And so that's a, it's an opportunity. Yeah. So what, what opportunity do we have as the body of Christ that is not able to gather right now? What does that look like for us to continue to function as the body of Jesus, but just not in, here's the door, here's the steeple, or, or mm-hmm. what is it? Uh, here, are the, I can't remember the jingle, whatever. Uh, <laughs> open the door and here's all the people, you know, like you yeah, open the doors yeah. now and it's empty space. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah. what what kind of opportunity does, does this afford for us as a church? Well, I do think it's it's really put in living kind of vivid color 
what we often say, which is the church are people, not a building or not a place. And um, but it can be really hard to really live that way when you are showing up at a certain place at a certain time with a group of people. It just seems like, well, no, this is church, this building, these people, that pastor doing this together. And I was talking to the pastor of my church um, just today, actually, about where we have kind of an online service, but the, some of it's pre-recorded. And so I've been listening to my pastor's sermons that have been pre-recorded. And I just, I was just confessing to him. I was like, you're, you're still a great preacher, but there's something about watching you preach. Like I realized how much preaching makes much more sense to me when I'm gathering in a context with a group of people and, and it's embodied. But when I just watch you on, you know, YouTube or Vimeo or whatever it is, it's like, it's kind of like, why am I watching you? I could be watching lots of other people. It, there's something about the medium that's challenging, I think, for me. What does it mean to be God's people? And how do we nourish one another? And that Sunday morning sermon, it's never really been ultimately about that, right? Discipleship to Jesus is seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And there's ways that Jesus wants to teach me and teach you and teach all of us outside of what takes place between the hours of 9 a.m. and 12 on a Sunday morning or whenever you gather. So, so I think there's an opportunity for us to say, okay, what does it look like to be God's people and to be cultivating a deep life with the Lord by the Spirit without the normal, typical means of grace, to use that word, you know, without church and without a sermon and without worship of this sort, you know. And so it's going to challenge us, I think, to say, what are the small ways that we can draw near to God? One of the practices I've been engaging is just turning my palms upward. And I call it the prayer of the Canaanite woman, because this is what the Canaanite woman said to Jesus in, in the Gospels. She just said, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And and it's amazing how much just turning my palms upward and saying, Lord, help me, you know, five, six times during the day. I, that that has done wonders yeah. for God's work in my life. So I think there's there's interesting and, and again, creative practices that we can engage in with one another and also individually that make church happen all the time that mm. that our brother Lawrence if people are familiar with brother Lawrence who wrote this little book or wrote some writings that turned into this book the practice of the presence of God he he says that we don't have to go to the church to pray because our hearts can become a church they can become a chapel mm. where we meet with God in our hearts and i think it's a little bit of that idea where how can my my heart how can my inner life become a little sanctuary, a little church where I draw near to God throughout the day. And then again, we can come alongside others and just say, how are you drawing near to God throughout the day in your little sanctuary, right? And so we can, we don't have to be alone in that, that sanctuary of the heart. We can talk to one another about our little sanctuaries, our little churches where we're cultivating life with God. Yeah. And from a biblical theology standpoint, that's exactly what you are. Mm. You are a temple. Mm. When Jesus died, as we've recently celebrated and rose from the dead, it's not that the veil is torn and we gain access to God. I mean, God was with his people in various ways throughout his time with them. It's that the presence of God now the temple shifts, it comes to us mm -hmm. and we become temples with hands and feet, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that that's the thing that 
the question for us as a church is what kind of interior life do we have? Um, and I think moments like this are exposing, as, as we've used that word a couple of different times, to just show that where Jesus, I think, gently is going, hey, guys, I want to develop this aspect of your life, whatever it is. And so um, I think one of the takeaways for me in just this conversation is to go, all right, Lord, what is exposed right now? Where do yeah. I feel vulnerable and then to pray that same prayer as a Canaanite one was such a good prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the son of Timaeus is a similar deal. Like have, have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> help. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I need help, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and to remember like Jesus isn't mad about nah. what's being exposed, nah. that mm-hmm. it truly is a gift that it's being exposed so that you can better know, love and adore who he is and that he can transform you by his spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, he loves you. He's not mad at you. Mm-hmm. Karen, I think that point you made is a really important one that um, we're already forgiven. We're already loved. We've already been declared right. And so mm-hmm. any knowledge that we have that that we didn't, you know, something we see in ourselves that we didn't know before, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know I rebelled in that way, or I didn't know I resisted yeah. God in that way. I mean, it's the first time we see it. And so for us, it's maybe a little bit like, you know, we'd feel bummed about it or something, but, but yeah, any guilt or condemnation, there's no condemnation in Christ. He, he already knows that about us. He already, he already died for that. He already loves that. So any exposure that we feel, we can just kind of say, Oh God, you've known about this for my whole life. And now I'm finally seeing it. What a great opportunity. It still can grieve us that, that we have these places where, where we need a lot more uh, work, but it shouldn't surprise us. And it certainly doesn't surprise God and so that gives us an opportunity just to yeah. kind of run to him over and over again. I think too, there's a lot of people. One of the one of the motivators that is a totally insufficient one, but it's a powerful one, is that they'll feel that God is angry with them about something, and so sure. they'll just double down their effort to okay, I've got to try harder. Yeah, and I think that actually the only thing that really burns away those areas of our lives that need to be refined is the love of God. Uh-huh. And and so I think that's a great way to end this conversation is just to reiterate the fact that you are loved. Uh-huh. There is no condemnation. It's the kindness of God that reveals these things that pushes us towards a new way of being and knowing and doing. And that's an ongoing process, as you said, Steve, that, that far from shaming us should be embraced as uh, a great opportunity to take another step with the master, the teacher. Again, just to go back to James's consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials. Um, I think that's, that's why he could say that, you know, Mm -hmm. he was saying, notice he doesn't say be happy about the trial. He says, no, consider it all joy when you face trials. So we can be, we can be mad at coronavirus. We can pray against it. We can, we should pray against it. You know, we, we can be sad about it. We can lament it. But at the same time, we can say, well, Lord, I'm, I'm sure you're going to use it. And I can be excited about how this time is going to refine me in ways that God already knows, he already loves. And now it's just an opportunity for me to draw near to him in a way that's actually going to bring freedom and, and transformation. So yeah, there's, there is a lot of joy in that. It's just in the moment, it's going to feel not a happy time. It sucks. 
It sucks. That's <laughs> awesome. I was going to use a different word, but I was. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I don't even Hashtag no filter. <laughs> yeah. Welcome awesome. to the equipping podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, man, I, I really appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your thoughtfulness on stuff like this. And uh, and we appreciate your time to yes. just join us to help help us and to help uh, our body here at Watermark and whoever's listening to this to be encouraged and to see that opportunity that's before us to continue to partake of this classroom that is uh, discipleship to Jesus, all of life. Mm. And uh, we're just in a certain lesson right now that he's mm-hmm. got us working through for our good and his glory. Amen. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Thanks, Karen. It's been great to be with you guys. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. If you thought that that was totally legit, then <laughs> you should go online and leave us a rating and leave a comment and tell your friends. And send us an email. And yeah, you can also send us an email at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. We hope everybody is staying safe, hunkering down. Until next time, peace. Bye.